Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. We are starting and launching a new series uh, on spiritual warfare entitled Teach My Hands to War. Teach My Hands to War. And uh, we'll invite you to stand with us. We're going to be opening our Bibles tonight to the book of Psalms. This is going to be our our theme passes of Scripture, uh, Psalm chapter 18. And uh, I still believe that we are... Uh, in a an intense spiritual conflict right now uh, related to our church. You may feel like that it's kind of lightened up or things are going well for you, but no, make no mistake, the enemy still is at work, and we're going to keep uh, pushing uh, forward in this. Uh, Psalms 18, verse 31, For who is our God save the Lord? Who is our God save the Lord? Who is our rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken by my arms. That's pretty bad. If you could take a bow of steel, a rod of steel, God's people are the original Superman because of his power in our life. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for this chance, O God. We give you praise, Lord. We ask you, Lord, that you would help us today as we study your word. Help us, Lord, as we learn, Lord, to to get engaged in the spiritual conflict that is around us and before us. Because you've already promised us the victory, Lord, we want to step in that and we want to operate in that uh, in the powerful name of Jesus. Uh, Let everybody say amen. Amen. Praise God. Lord bless you. You can be seated. There is a danger today of us slipping behind Pentecostal platitudes and little pet phrases that we say here. When it comes to spiritual warfare, you can look the part, be an apostolic, Pentecostal, go through the motions, content with the same old, same old, or you can lace up your combat boots, as it were, and join the fight. Because the fact of the matter is that there's really no sidelines in this spiritual dimension. There is no... uh, spectators everybody's engaged in it it's life it's life you may say that you don't know how to fight this invisible foe but the psalmist put it like this lord you're going to give me strength but you're going to also teach my hands to war i believe that we have nothing more than just simply to ask the lord how do i do this what do I do? How do I, how do I go about defeating the enemy? I, I want the Lord to teach me. 
there's, there's nothing wrong with asking God, help me, teach me. I want to know, amen. God does not intend for his people to be run over by fear, by doubt, by the enemy, by spirits, by uh, worldliness. His plan is that we would be girded with strength for the battle, prepared. And that's what our lesson is tonight, uh, is just simply get ready. Turn to somebody and say, you better get ready. You better get ready. We were never designed to be under Satan's feet, but he is to be under ours. So many times we allow the enemy to run roughshod over us, but we are destined to run through his troop and leap over his wall. And by his strength, by the strength of the Lord, we are able to do battle in the name of Jesus. Number one, let's talk about intentional resistance. Resistance. You and I are part of the resistance. If you want to know how to be a part of a rebel group, get a part of the church. We're counterculture to the world. We resist the God of this world. We resist the thinking of this world. We resist what the enemy has for us. James chapter 4 and verse number 7. James 4 and 7. Submit yourselves. Everybody say submit. Submit, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he might flee from you. He will flee from you. Submit, resist, and then verse 8 says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Amen. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Here is the intentional resistance. Number one is submit. Everybody say submit. That means to be under the control of another, to obey, willing to come under the orders of another I want to tell you today that the Lord is the one that is in charge. He's the general. He's the supreme commander. He's the king of kings. Amen. And whatever he says we should do. It doesn't it didn't make, make sense. Do it anyway. I, I, you want me to do what? That, that, you want me to be like this and you want me to do this? It doesn't make sense. Submit to God. Victory must begin with obedience. I've seen people that fight the enemy and they're fighting the enemy left and right, but they, they don't obey what God has told them to do. Then they might as well just, just, just give up because they're going to be defeated until we get to the place where we obey what God has already begun to tell us to do. Amen. So number one in intentional resistance is submit to our leader. Lord, you are our king. You are my master. Whatever you say goes. Whatever never been in the military, but I understand the chain of command and the orders of command are, are, are paramount. A private can't just simply say, oh, I think I'll go do this over here. He's got orders that have been given to him by those that are in command over him. And, and then you find that then there are others, there's sergeants and there's colonels and there's lieutenants and, 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 and captains and all these different places of order. But in the kingdom of God, there is only one supreme commander. 
Somebody tell me his name. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Then he said resist. 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 That word is interesting because it literally means be hostile towards. How many of you in your life ever ever made this statement? I hate the devil. Can I see your hand? You ever said, I hate the devil? You watch as the devil is destroying people's lives or the devil is working behind the scenes and, 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 and the response is, I hate, I, he's my enemy. I am opposed to him and everything he does. Resist, oppose, that's what the word means. Rebel against, set oneself against, stand against. We must in this battle have a little bit of resistance in our spirit, a little bit of rebellion. I, I, no devil, you, you, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow that. You want me to do this? No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm submitted to my, my king. I'm submitted to the Lord, so I'm under his authority, not yours. You're my enemy. I'm not going to bow down to you. I'm not going to follow you. Amen. And, and, and so we submit to God. We resist the devil. But then we draw nigh to God. This battle is not just simply about whipping the devil. It's about getting closer to the Lord. It's a two-pronged effect that when you fight a spiritual battle and you become more intense in your prayer, more intense in your, your actions, what happens is that uh, you begin to separate yourself from the enemy, but you get closer to God in the process. The battle is worth it for that alone. Draw nigh, move towards God, come near God, join one thing to another. That's what the word means. We resist the enemy and draw closer to God. Uh, Peter wrote uh, uh, this very same sentiment in 1 Peter 5 in verse number 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, resist him. Life happens. Situations happen. The devil is a master manipulator. Every, you know, he is not in a red suit with two horns and a forked tail. The Bible said he comes as an angel of light. He comes bringing something that looks good. He comes being deceptive. Amen. That's why we need to know what the king says. Follow his orders, but resist the devil steadfastly in your faith. I'm convinced that the American church has been blessed and prospered for so many years until perhaps we have swallowed up lies from hell. The lies is that there is no such thing as demonic world that you have to deal with. You don't have to deal with spirits. There are no demons to cast out. There are no devils to bind or destroy. It's just, just simply life. It's simply going through the motions. But the Bible says, there is a force to resist. I know that in other worlds and other nations, demons portray themselves in various ways, perhaps differently, more openly, 
But in America, I believe the demonic world is more sinister because it lurks in the shadows behind the doors. It's very incognito. It's making you think that this is okay and that's okay. Amen. I, I, I believe we need to be aware and say, devil, I'm resisting you. And if I don't know who he is, I can't know how to resist him. If I don't know who, who the enemy is and how he operates, it's a whole point of, of this study for the next little however long. Amen. Is to, to identify the enemy, how he operates, and how to resist him. Amen. I don't want to be as one just beating the air. I don't want to be as one just talking a game and, and, and speaking uh, words to the devil like some kind of trash talker and then, then walk away and shirk away in a corner somewhere and, and twiddle my thumbs. But I say, let's move forward. Let's see what God can do, amen, in the enemy. We cannot afford to bury our heads in a quiet, rural Indiana community and say, we have no demonic attacks. How many of you know that's a big bunch of lies? This is no time to ignore the enemy. We're not trying to glorify him neither. We're not going to go around looking for a devil under every rock and behind every tree. But let me just simply say this. You have to know that there is a spiritual force out there to resist it, to identify it. So we need to have an intentional resistance. Resistance. I'm part of the people say, you, you folks, you know, y'all just, just rebels. Yeah, we are rebels. <laughs> but we are in line with the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. Let's look at point number two, battle ready. I want to be battle ready. How about you? Let's go back to our, our two main Bible texts for this study is in Psalms 18 and Ephesians 6. Psalms 18, 34 says, teach my hands to war. Somebody say, Lord, teach my hands to war. Hallelujah. In, 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 in thinking about spiritual warfare, Paul uses a vivid image of armor. But don't get conf conflicted and confused about spiritual warfare. It doesn't matter what kind of sword you, you swing. It doesn't matter what kind of gun you shoot. It doesn't matter in any form or fashion what kind of natural implement of war that you have. The way we do war is on a, a, a primary fronts, and that's prayer, worship, and your mouth. Get into the word. Find out what the word says. That's what we want to do. Learn how to pray in spiritual conflict. Learn how to worship as spiritual conflict. And then, amen, understand obedience on every front. You can be victorious. Lord, teach my hands to war so that I can take a bow of steel, so I can take the intense, the wiles, the plans of the enemy and break them. I want to destroy the enemy's unity. Hell has unity. That's how it operates. I want to destroy. I want, I want the enemy to be thinking when, when, when MPC goes to prayer, oh, no. I want the enemy to be thinking that when you begin to intercede, it's like, hey, guys, we're in trouble. I want the enemy to think that MPC is its worst nightmare. Come 
on, somebody. I, I, I want it to be that the Lord would teach our hands to war so that we can take the bow of steel and break it in our arms. Hallelujah. We find that he's given me, the verse 35 says, the shield of thy salvation in thy right hand hath holed me up and thy gentleness hath made me great. Whew. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me that my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. I have wounded them that they were not able to rise. They are fallen under my feet for thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. We understand that David's talking about natural conflict but what is in a natural conflict in the Old Testament can be understood as a spiritual conflict in the New Testament. And just as David said, Lord, teach me to war. Lord, you give me strength. Amen. Lord, I'm going to pursue the enemies until I overtake them, until they are consumed. I don't want to let the devil up on the mat. I don't want to let him just tap out and give him a chance to get back up. I want to drive him completely away. Paul's counterpart to this in the New Testament is dealing with the armor. And we're going to be teaching some on the armor, but that's not going to be our main focus in this lesson. It's going to be just a part of what we're talking about. But Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, after all that he has said in the book of Ephesians, Okay, keep that in mind. After everything he said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Somebody say, I need that. That's what the psalmist was saying. He's my strength. He's the one that's supporting me. Then he says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the plans, the schemes of the devil. For, and here's the key I want to drive home with us in this study. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. First of all, let's acknowledge, if we're going to get battle ready, that there is a fight. There is a war. We are warring a relentless foe. I don't guess demons sleep. I've never seen anything in Scripture, but the devil is always working, but so is the Lord. <laughs> we are at war against a relentless foe, the conflict between the darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and the kingdom of light. Paul said that we are to put on the armor of light, armor of light. I think that in many ways there are certain kinds of stories that Hollywood has depicted and, and showed the conflict uh, 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 of good versus evil against uh, you know the, the white hat and the black hat and the, 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 the ghouls and the goblins and the good guys and all that kind of junk. Uh, and you have uh, you have the the superheroes and you have the supervillains and 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 they portrayed that to the point where I believe a lot of people have been sucked into the mentality that that that's that's fiction that story. 
But in reality, there is a world war going on right now. If you could pull back the curtain, that is more sinister and deep and the conflict more real than anything Hollywood could ever produce. Will y'all get offended with me if I, I do refer to a movie? Okay. I believe it was the original Avenger movie that, that, that showed, and all you, you comic cats can correct me if I'm, I'm off. But uh, there was some kind of device that opened up the heavens until evil and wicked beasts started pouring in. Pouring in. And the only way to win was to shut that access off. I want to tell you that that is more true than Hollywood would ever know. Or maybe they do. I, well, I, I just simply say that, that the enemy, if you give him access, he will pour in with his legions and his imps and his demonic forces. And the way you stop that is stop his access. Because unless you give the enemy access, he has no authority in your life. He has no way into your life. Until you give him access to your mind, access to your family, access to your home, access to things that are... Now, I realize that other people you deal with and other relationships you have may be given access to the enemy and you got to deal with it that way. But in your own life, don't open the porthole anyway in any place. Satan, the Bible says, uh, 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 don't give him place. Don't give place. Don't give him, don't, don't let him stick his, his toe in your door. Say, devil, you're not going to, access is going to be denied here. I want to tell you today that hell does not wake up one morning and say, uh, let's throw a dart and see whoever we hit and that's who we're going to attack. No attack is accidental. Hell is deliberate, strategic in its attack. It is persistent in its conflict. Amen. Hell doesn't take a recess, but we get rest because we're in the Lord. Our pastor gets up and says, y'all are going to rest tonight. Did everybody do that Sunday night? Okay, good deal. So we need to assess the conflict. Paul put it like this. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So the warfare you fight is spiritual on every level. The battle is spiritual. I want to remind you that people are not your problem. That co-worker you deal with, not really your problem. That issue in a relationship, not really your problem. It's a spiritual matter. Either we need to submit to God, or we need to resist the devil, or we need to draw nigh to God. That's the keys to winning. Submit, resist, and draw nigh to the Lord. The battles we face in life are perhaps fundamentally seen as physical. But if the battle in the physical is won in the physical, it must first be won in the spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The conflict is spiritual, and therefore we got to address it on that level. We've got to confront it on that level. We've got to confront it in prayer. We've got to confront it in calling on the Lord. If we cannot navigate the spiritual world, then how do we expect to win conflicts in the natural? The real battle occurs in the heavenlies. Notice what, what Paul said. He, he said that there's spiritual wickedness in high places. High places. Places of, of spiritual authority that, 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 that where principalities rule and where, where every one of these, these evil cats are doing their junk. So we must realize, number one, people are not our problem. It's a spiritual battle. Now there are times... You just got to pray until the Lord gives you wisdom, know how to handle it in the natural. Handle it in the natural. All right. Let's look at point number three. Let's talk about soldiers and their standing. Soldiers need to know in what power and what position they stand in. How many remember back years ago where our soldiers were sent to Iraq and they didn't have armored Humvees, and many of them were injured, maimed, and killed because they lacked the proper standing, the proper positioning. In Christ, we have proper positioning. I believe as Paul looks through the whole book of, if we look through the whole book of Ephesians, you will find that he culminates the book in the armor and doing the armor, I believe that he's lining up the soldier's position throughout the book of Ephesians. So that's where we're going to go through. Paul explains again and again our standing in Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. If you know who you are and you know whose you are, you can be better prepared to fight your battle. So the soldier needs a good standing. Knowing his position, Ephesians 3, 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might by his spirit in the inner man. Somebody say, I'm strong in him. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. When we look at the, the, the book of Ephesians, you will find that, that the main topic is where you stand in Christ, who, who you are in Christ. An effective soldier will know his surroundings, he will know his position, and he'll know where he's fighting from, knowing that he can turn back over here at any moment, and he has got an endless supply of bullets. I don't know about you, but I think I would hate to be a soldier and look down at my clip and pull it out and see that, no, I'm empty. 
According to the word of God, you don't ever have to run out of a bullet. You don't ever have to run out of a weapon. You don't ever have to run out of armor. You don't ever have to because you are in good standing with the Lord. Let's look at chapter 1. We're going to just kind of walk through each chapter and show how Paul is talking about the standing of the soldier. Ephesians 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Where? Where did he give us the blessings? In heavenly places. Where are principalities and powers? They're in high places. But to combat that, God has given us a blessing with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So know this, you are looking down on the enemy. I'm looking down on the enemy because every promise, every blessing, everything God said he's going to fulfill in my life, I'm looking from that vantage point, heavenly places. That's where you're fighting from. So, so in chapter 1, we are blessed in heavenly places. If you're making notes, you might want to put number 1 as being blessed in heavenly places. Let me, let me follow that up with a, as he continues in verse 19. And to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, where? In heavenly places. Where did he put him? Look at the next verse. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is a name. Every principality of power, every principality of heaven is under him. All dominion, all might, all authority is under him. Then it says, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We have access to the exceeding greatness of his power. We have access to the authority of Jesus and his name, and we have access to where he is in heavenly places. So as a soldier, you are fighting from an advantage point that the enemy does not have. Yeah, he's in high places. Yeah, he's raised up. But when you are in Christ and you're standing standing in that position, then you're fighting from an advantage point. Mm. Then look at chapter 2. He says in verse 6, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. Okay. So not only do we have access to that, he brings us up to that point, that vantage point as a soldier. In Ephesians 2 and 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I'm raising you up and putting you in a place where you are guaranteed success if you stay there. 
guaranteed success, guaranteed victory. Now, he has never promised us that we never have an emotional issue, that we never have a problem, that we never have a bad day, that we never have a sorrow, that we never have a tear. But I've come to realize, amen, everything that I've learned really primarily about God, I have learned in the dark hours. I've learned in the hours of battle. I've learned in the hours of sorrow. Amen. I didn't necessarily learn it on the mountaintop of victory and and excellence of everything going all right, but I learned it in the moment of crisis. I found out who he is. I didn't really know the love of God until I went through some dark times. So we are raised up with him in heavenly places in Christ. Then in chapter 3, he talks about, uh, again, the position of where we are. Look at, look at chapter 3, verse 8. Paul says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, in this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith in him. So here's what he's saying. I'm going to reveal my purpose and my power in my people. God wants his soldiers to teach hell a lesson. Say that with me. God wants his soldiers to teach hell a lesson. Praise the Lord. That we should make known the mystery. The mystery to the intent, verse 10 says, that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. You are so powerful, you can blow hell's mind. Knowing who you are in Christ produces an awareness of such power. So the soldier of God fights with intel that is revealed in heavenly places. I believe in prayer and seeking God. God puts us in a place through his word, through the preach word, through the taught word, by us studying the word. God puts us in a place where we can get intelligence from headquarters. And then he says, I'm going to show you something. Verse 17 of chapter 3, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye be in rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Somebody say, amen. Praise God. So we are in heavenly places with him. We are revealing the heavenly dynamics to hell. We're showing the purpose and power of the Lord. Look at chapter 4. He said, I'm also going to equip you 
Chapter 4, verse 11, soldiers, I've given you some apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting or the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I've not left you here just to ride along on the breeze. I'm giving you direction, equipping. Amen. God gives soldiers training through the ministry. God gives soldiers training through the ministry. Then chapter 5, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Soldiers, you are children of the light. Amen. You're sitting with him in heavenly places. You are revealing to hell what the will and power and purpose of God is. You are being equipped by the ministry and that you are children of light. You're waging war in the darkness. All you have to do is light winds when it's turned on. Light winds when it's turned on. Then chapter 6, it tells us in verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong with the Lord and the power of his might. Finally. The whole book is leading up to this point. Amen. So let me just quickly go through chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Number 1, we're blessed in heavenly places. Number 2, we are effective in heavenly places with Christ. Number 3, we reveal the purpose and power of of God in heavenly places. Number four, we are equipped of the ministry. Number five, we are children of light. And number six, we are victorious in Christ. That's where you're standing in. Not an emotion, not a feeling. That's where you're standing in. Pray that way. Lord, I'm in you, and you said that I sit with you in heavenly places, and I'm looking down on the enemy that's attacking. So therefore, I have the advantage point as a soldier of Christ. All right? Let's move to number four. We're going to assess the battlefield just a little bit. One of the things the Lord willing, when we get a little bit later on in our study, I want to do is I want to do a study of, of the enemies of Israel and show how they defeated them and because I believe there's spiritual principles there that we can learn from them as we go further into our study. Look at, look at this. Let's assess the battlefield. Understanding the historical, cultural, and religious aspects of Ephesus, where Paul's writing this book, helps us understand the importance of why he wound up with put on the whole armor of God. Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. It was home to the temple of goddess Diana, the goddess of fertility. No deity of that day was sought more than the goddess Diana. People traveled from all over the Mediterranean world to worship in her temple, a temple that was four, size, four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. The city gained its wealth and power on the travel of worshipers to this pagan temple. It was filled with inns, hotels, restaurants, shops, and banks that were getting wealthy off of this idolatry. You will find throughout Scripture there is connection with commerce and idolatry. 
since Diana was a, a, a patroness of sexual uh, in, instinct, prostitutes and sold their bodies without con- condemnation so prostitutes could operate freely as part of the patrons or part of the workers of the temple of Diana. So the church of Ephesus was not sitting in the middle of the Bible belt. It was sitting in the hotbed of pagan practices. Let's learn some stuff about Ephesus from the book of Acts. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 19, and we're going to pick up the reading at verse number 8. Keep this in mind. When we go through this chapter, he is in Ephesus where he wrote this letter. Okay? Verse 8, he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Paul is preaching the word of God in Ephesus. He was not intimidated by the profane, perverted spirits that opposed the truth and those that spake evil vile things about their religion. Look look at verse 9. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude. What are they doing? They're tearing down the way. The way of the gospel. The way of the truth. They're tearing down the message The Bible said he departed from them and separated the disciples disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannius. So Paul was empowered and he wasn't intimidated by these evil speakers, these divers, he calls them. But he was empowered by God. Look at verse 10. And this continued by space of two years. He's in this conflict for Two years so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greek, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the disease departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Right in the middle of the hotbed of paganism, God had miracles, signs, and wonders happening. Amen. So don't ever get to thinking it's so bad in our world that we can never see that again. God's just simply saying, I want to do that. I want to move in that area. Paul was preaching the gospel. You never find him begging or uh, pleading with evil spirits. Please come out. Please come out. Would you mind leaving me? Would you mind quit tormenting my mind? Can you stop? But he simply cast them out by the power of Jesus' name until others were watching him. In verse 13, there were certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Siva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? 
And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. These wandering vagabond exorcists, uh, they were... They were Exorcist for hire, if you please, misunderstood the anointing that was on Paul. Amen. And so, so they, they wanted to try to mimic it and copy it. The downfall, though, of Siva and his son was all was known, according to verse 17, all was known to all the Jews and the Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on all them that the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Don't be concerned about fakes and frauds and counterfeits and people that are, that are, that are not handling the name of the Lord right. Let God turn the failure into victory. So the name of Jesus was magnified. Until verse 18, and many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts, the occult, witchcraft, all kinds of curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. I heard someplace that it was in the millions of dollars. In today's money, that they brought their books, so mildly grew the word of God and prevailed under the nose of Diana. Right under the nose of a hotbed of hell activity, God said, I'm going to turn up the, the power. I'm going to show my power until people were coming and getting rid of their junk. You know, when revival starts happening is when we begin to lose connection to things that are our are, are, are access points for the enemy to come into our life. Do we think, do we think that we're so super spiritual that we can play around and read books like Harry Potter and it not affect us? Until we think, oh, that's nothing. That that really, that's just stories. Let me just tell you, I, I, I know firsthand how the people in their lives have blown up because they open themselves to things that are not uh, uh, sound spiritually, but rather they are the curious arts. They are the curious arts of, uh, of witchcraft and Ouija boards and seances and things like that. Uh, the devil's wanting us to kind of accept it. Uh, amen. Let me just tell you plainly to you. Let me say it plainly to you. Yoga is not your friend. Uh, do you do yoga? No, I don't. <laughs> yoga is a way to open the portal. That's exactly what it is meant for. Clear your mind. Open up your mind. Um, you don't know what's coming down that opening. Okay. I believe that God can show us victory in the middle of spiritual war. No wonder Paul said, put on the whole armor of God. No wonder he said that there are principalities and powers. There was a lot of junk going on. Amen. From this, we can learn some battlefield intelligence from this. I want to, in point number five, I want to show you six lessons from the battlefield that we can learn. We need some battlefield intelligence, don't we? 
the story of the, this comes from the story of the sons of Siva. Number one, being victorious requires outside help. We can't fight this battle on our own. The seven sons of Siva tried to shortcut their way to victory and freedom from the enemy, and it didn't work. Paul had a relationship with Jesus. That's how he could use the name of Jesus. We don't just use the name of Jesus because it's there, and, oh, I could say the name of Jesus and pick it up. But we say the name of Jesus because we have a relationship with Jesus. So, number one lesson is victory requires outside help. Number two, being victorious requires more than numbers. The psalmist said in 27 and 3, though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Don't look at the numbers. Don't look at the reports. Don't look at what the doctor says or what the lawyer says or what the this says. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. The seven sons of Siva tried to do what one God called God's strength and apostle did with a word. It's more than numbers. Don't, don't, don't get into number crunching when it comes to spiritual warfare. Number three, the lesson we can learn is being victorious requires more than formulas. Being victorious requires more than formulas. The sons of Siva attempted to cast out a devil by copying the formula that Paul used, and they weren't successful, were they? They took upon them to say, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. We're going to do it just like him. The word exorcist here means one who employs a formula. According to Strong's, exorcist means one who employs a formula of conjuring for expelling demons. Formulas fail when there is no true power of the Holy Spirit. These Jews took it upon themselves to do it by themselves without the true power of God. Amen. There are sometimes, there are certain formulas that you can't copy from one situation to another. I remember years ago, a missionary telling about, um, I believe it was in Thailand, that they were having a service and there was a woman that was acting all demon-possessed and going on and on and on. And the, the missionary, uh, they, they, they walked in and they were praying for this woman, trying to cast the devil out. And he walked up and had the spirit of, uh, the, the gift of, of discerning of spirits. And he walked up to her and said, hey, uh, take her back to the back room and lock it by herself. She's not possessed. She's trying to get attention. They took her back there and all of a sudden she sobered up. Everything's fine. Amen. I believe today that there are some things that we need the Holy Ghost to give us the direction, not a formula. Not a formula. Okay. Number four lesson from the battlefield here is that pretenders will be exposed. Pretenders will be exposed. The battle is real. The enemy is real. There's no room for pretend soldiers. 
Pretenders beware. We're fighting more than negative forces or evil philosophies or just bad thinking. We're fighting evil spirits, evil spirits that think and speak and influence. So pretenders will be exposed, number four. Number five, the victorious are known by the enemy. They said, that spirit said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, so Satan's kingdom is aware of who you are. Don't be afraid of it. The kingdom of darkness knows where the anointing truly resides. It knows who we are and where our strength comes from. The kingdom of darkness knows that they can't win, so they try deception. They try speaking manipulation and, and, and twisting and subduing. Amen. Let me just remind you, the victorious are known by the enemy. And number six, the name of Jesus is always connected to the power of Jesus. The name of Jesus is connected to the power of Jesus. The name of Jesus in witchcraft, though, doesn't mix. The seven sons of Siva employed the name in vain because they were mixing it without knowing the, the uh, authority of that name. They, got the, they wanted the power without the authority. Let me show you what Jesus said in Mark chapter 16 and verse 17. These signs shall follow them that believe. Do we believe this still? In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Do we believe that still today? I said we've got to believe that. We, 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 we've got, we're not going to look for devils to cast out. We're not looking for demons behind every corner. We're not looking for witches and, and, and warlocks. We're not looking for that. But I want to tell you, when they show up, when, when they show up, when those spirits come and attack, when they come to your mind, when confusion shows up in your mind, you've got the authority to cast it out. When the spirit of depression and dis disillusionment comes in your mind, you got the authority to say, no. When the spirit of lust shows up in your mind, you got the authority. Run, devil. Get out of here. I'm not. No, that's not who I am. You don't have a place in here. I have authority over you. If you don't think the enemy can influence people, go ask Ananias and Sapphira. When they came... And they lied about their offering. Peter said, what happened to you? How did the devil, how did Satan put this in your mind? The enemy speaks to you. I said the enemy speaks to you. <laughs> it's time to speak back. Time to speak up. Would you stand? Let me remind you of one more scripture before we, we conclude this evening. On getting ready. Philippians 2 and 9. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every being, every being is going to bow and say, Jesus is Lord. Be strong in the Lord, Paul said, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Let's just fight on. 
Amen. I want to tell you that there is such a stirring in our world today that if you think for a moment that some, some, not all, but some of the protests that are going in our world, I'm not talking politics, I'm talking about the vicious, ugly, yeah, you just, you just feel something. That is a spiritually driven protest. And we're not going to win it by voting. Praise the Lord. We're not going to win it by protesting back. Oh, well, this company did this, so I'm going to, I'm going to boycott them. Really? Really? Your, your five bucks a month is going to stop them right there. That's not going to win. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just simply saying that's not how we win. How we win is on our knees. How we win is on our knees. Hallelujah. I have to believe a little bit that every time I drove by the liquor store here in Medora, I said, Lord, close it down. Lord, shut it down. It's killing men. It's destroying men. You know what? I'm not taking the credit, but I'm saying I prayed that way, and now it no longer exists. Amen. Can we, can we not just take the Lord in his word and say that he, he, we've got the power to pray that kind of prayer, to declare victory, that we stand from a vantage point of victory? You are more powerful than you realize. The least among us that feels like they are the least among us has got more power than, than every attack that would come your way. Lord, we come to you today. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would understand that not only are we prepared for battle, but, Lord, we are equipped. We are equipped. We stand from a vantage point where principalities and powers are below us, Lord, because we're standing with you. We are standing with you in heavenly places. Everything that you won at Calvary is ours. Every demon that you've conquered at Calvary is ours to conquer in the name of Jesus, Lord. And we will not be defeated. We are not going to be run over, but we are victorious today. And, oh, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that, 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 that somehow that we turn our world upside down. For the cause of Jesus Christ, we give you praise today. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Somebody say, I am victorious in him. I am victorious in him. I am an overcomer in him. Praise you, Jesus. Take a few moments to lift up your voice and worship him in this place. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah today. Lord, I praise you today. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com.